if you're a student, you're dismissed to go. How are you, sir? You good? Um, I'm so happy you're here today. I greet you in the name of my Savior. Um, again, let me just say thank you to all of you that have volunteered to help us on the 18th of December. Um, feeding these 150 children that um, they need a blessing. They need some encouragement. They need to be reminded that they, or somebody cares for them and loves them. And um, so thank you for your willingness to help with that. Um, and let me just add my, in, uh, first of all, let me add my thanks, Kim and Jerry, for the uh, party tonight. Um, thank you for providing it. And uh, uh, it's always a, a, a wonderful time. And I hope that everyone will uh, come and uh, enjoy it. Uh, I really am looking forward to it. Um, and then as Tommy said on the 22nd, I guess that's the Sunday before Christmas, um, we'll have breakfast and the children are going to do our Christmas program and uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a fun time. Um, you know, I tell y'all that every once in a while the Lord um, speaks to me in such a clear way. It's, I, I don't hear him audibly, but it's just that clear. Um, and this week the Lord really spoke to me uh, in a very profound way. And I just wanted to share with you what the Lord uh, is trying to tell me. Uh, I tell you what, let me, let me pray first. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me enough that you even take the time to speak to me. That you want me to hear your voice and receive Light and truth and grace and wisdom and life from what you say. I pray that you would speak to all of us this morning. That you give us ears to hear and eyes that can see. And the ability to distinguish your voice from all others. I pray God that you would protect us like never before. From projecting onto others the need to hear what I'm going to help us out. God, help us not to think about anybody else. Help us to think about ourselves. We do it so often and so well. We think about ourselves so easily, so continually, so effortlessly. God, would you give us the grace to think about ourselves right now for the next 30 minutes? Would you help us to think about ourselves and no one else? And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, my wife says that my grandfather was the most profound uh, influencer in my life. Um, I hope that's not true, but it probably is. And uh, growing up as a kid... I can remember my grandfather would take me and my grandmother, what, they don't have them anymore, but it was called Woolworths. It was a five and dime store in Dyersburg. And uh, I could pick out something that I wanted for Christmas. Now, don't get all hysterical. We're talking about <laughs> maybe a dollar. You know what I mean? It was, it was 
But I can remember vividly that my grandmother, why she kept trying, I don't know. But I can remember as a kid, my grandmother saying, well, Joe, that's my grandfather, I'd like something. And I'm talking about, she was the most Spartan, humble, modest person you ever met. Uh, but I remember one time she wanted a little old dish, a little old porcelain-looking dish. I bet the thing didn't cost 50 cents. And all the women in Finley, uh, all the women in the home, decor, uh, home decor, uh, demonstration club uh, had one of these little dishes, and they'd put little old mints in them. And when the women would gather for their meetings in different homes, they all had a little dish with these little mints in it. And I remember my grandmother saying, I'd like one of those, Joe, for Christmas. If she had asked for a Mercedes or a rocket ship, Geneva, we're not buying. Are you crazy? Throwing money. You've got plenty of dishes. And blah, you know, and I can, I'll never forget that image of, of him, her, of her wanting something that wasn't directly related to the maintenance of the home. And my grandfather saying, well, I can't, I'm not going to tell you what exact words he said, but he emphatically said, we're not wasting money on anything extravagant like a 50-cent porcelain bowl from Woolworths, okay? Uh, uh, and I, I, I'm sure I was five, seven, nine, you know, I was little. Uh, and I, don't, I haven't forgotten that. And, but I'm sure that my grandmother's feelings were hurt. You know, he'd buy her a new, if, he, if she needed somehow a skillet or an iron or a, you know, a can opener. That kind of thing is what he would have thought would have been appropriate to buy. But I'm sure it hurt my grandmother's feelings to want something for Christmas and just be ignored, turned down, rejected. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Surely not to that extreme, uh, but, uh, you know, um, and it, I got to thinking about that. I, I don't even know really why, but I started wondering, stay with me, don't, don't let me lose you, but I started wondering about God himself, and I asked myself the question, wonder what God wants for Christmas, Wonder what he would love to wake up on his son's birthday and come running around the corner into the living room of heaven and wonder what he hopes is under the tree. I realize that's a little out there, but you see my point. If God's a person, and he is, then he has desires and hopes, um, just like every other person. And uh, I just was asking myself, wonder what God is hoping for this Christmas. Wonder um, what he would like to find under the tree. You know, uh, buying Christmas presents for people who have everything is hard, isn't it? Well, think about trying to get a Christmas gift for God. 
You know, that, <laughs> he literally has everything. So I wonder what we could get him for Christmas that he would really um, delight in. That would make him smile. Um, I've been pondering that all week long. And, you know, I can't dogmatically tell you what God wants for Christmas. But I do have a suggestion that I'd like for us to think about. Okay? I believe that children reflect their parents in incredible and accurate ways. Now, for some of us, we're going, well, I'm not so sure it's that accurate. No, no, our children reflect us uh, uh, in amazing ways, and I can get a pretty good idea about who you are. And you can do that with my daughter. You can hang around my daughter for a little while and uh, you can get to know me. Um, we might not, again, we might not like that, but it's the truth. Um, and if children reflect their parents, which they do, then I, I started thinking, well, if God's children reflect God, then it leads me to the conclusion that I can get to know what God wants most by studying the lives of His children and what they want most. That seem reasonable? Does that seem logical? So I started thinking about God's children in the Bible and what they wanted above all else. If you, could, if you could pick a child of God in the Bible who reflects God and you asked him if you could have anything in the world, if you could have anything under the tree, if you could have anything for Christmas, what would you want? How about Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve? If you could have anything what would you want for Christmas? And you know what I think their answer would be? I'd love my two sons to get along and to love each other. Don't you think that's what they would ask for more than anything? If you asked Abraham, Abraham, what do you want more than anything else in the world? What would you love for Christmas? Give you anything you want. I think Abraham would say, oh, I'd love to have peace and unity and harmony with my wife, Sarah, and between my two boys, Isaac and Ishmael. Oh, how I wish they loved each other. Oh, how I wish they got along. Isaac, how about you? What do you want for Christmas? You could have anything. What would you like? I think Isaac would say, you know, over the years, my wife and I, we've just gotten crossways and it's gotten wider, that gap between us, especially in our parenting. She wants to parent one way and I want to parent another. 
I value certain things that she doesn't value and she values things that I don't. Oh, I wish, I wish Rebecca and I valued each other and had unity and harmony in our relationship. I'd give anything. What else would you like, Isaac? I'd love for my sons to love each other. I'd love for my sons to get along. I'd love for there to be peace between my two boys, Jacob and Esau. I bet you that he would give anything for that. Ask Jacob. You see where I'm going. Pick a name. Pick a, pick a child of God in the Bible. This works on every one of them. If we know a little information about them. Ask Jacob. Jacob, what would you like? What would you, what would you like? Oh, I'd love, man, I, my wives, I've got two wives, which is a, there's a problem right there, right out of the gate. But, but as they say in Belgium, egg in school, you did it yourself, so there's nothing. Uh, anyway, um, man, there's not a day that I don't wake up and my wives are fighting. They're always, they never get along. They're, and their kids are fighting. My sons, they never get along. They're always fighting. They're always bickering. There's always hostility and conflict. I bet you if you ask Jacob, Jacob, what do you want under the tree? Carte blanche. Anything you want. I'm telling you, Jacob would say, I'll tell you what I want. I want my wife. My wives to get along. I want my children to get along. I want some peace. Ask Jacob, uh, ask Joseph. Joseph, what do you want more than anything, buddy? Man, I'd love to have some love between me and my brothers. I got a bunch of brothers, a house full of busload of brothers. We've done nothing my entire life but fight. I'd give anything if me and my brothers got along. Moses and his siblings, Aaron and Miriam. Only time you ever see Moses, the Bible mention his relationship with Aaron and with Miriam. They're fighting. Man, I wished I got along with my siblings. David, what do you want most? You're the king of God's people. Things are so good in your kingdom that literally rocks uh, gold, a room full of gold in your kingdom is like a room full of rocks. You've got everything, buddy. What do you want? What would you like for Christmas? i tell you what I'd like. I'd love to have some relational peace. Peace with my wife, Michael. We're always bickering and arguing. I'd love to have relational peace with my boys. With Amnon and Absalom and Solomon. They're, all, they're always fighting and and at odds and full of conflict and hostility. I'll tell you what I want. I'd give my kingdom if the people in my life and the people in my family just got along. Just loved each other. Every one of these people that I've mentioned, in their own right, they had unlimited success, unlimited Wealth, unlimited prominence. These were the, the Trumps and the Bill Gates and uh, all these other movers and checkers. These are the most powerful, wealthy, successful 
people of their day. And I'm telling you, if I know them through the study of God's word at all, I'm telling you, they would give up everything for some relational peace in their lives, in their families, in their relationships. That led my mind to go to uh, the people that caused the trouble. I started with Cain and Abel. Let me start, let me go back to Cain. Wonder if Cain, you, you and I could go to lunch with Cain. Cain? Cain and Abel, Adam's sons. Y'all, y'all with me? Cain? Do you recognize, are you aware that your heart is full of hostility? That you're, you got grudges in your heart towards your brother? Do you realize jealous that there's ill will and animosity and jealousy and just anger in your heart? wonder if you asked, Rebecca, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers. What if you asked any of these people that, that contributed to all this hostility and conflict and ill will, I wonder if you asked them, do you realize what you're doing to your family? Do you realize what, what you're Adding to your family dynamic. You know what their answer would be? I'm telling you 100% the same answer. It's the same answer you give. If I said, do you realize, Susan, what you're adding to the mix in the conflict of your... I'm not adding anything. I'm not... I'm not. Yes, there is conflict in my family. Yes, there is ill will. Yes, there is animosity. Yes, there is... Jealousy and, and, and envy and, and all. Yes, there is, there's unforgiveness. There's anger. There, yes, that stuff. I see it in my family. But I'm not the cause. It's not me. 100% of them would give the same answer that you and I would give. I see the problem. But I'm not the problem Causer. They don't see it in their lives and they don't see the impact that it is having on people that for the most part would say, oh, I love them. They're my family. They're my people. They're my people, man. I, 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 would, I would fight Vikings and marauders and you know, I, I would defend them to the death. But I'm not causing that. And the reason I'm so confident that that's how they would answer is that's how I answer. That's how you answer. I... Um, 
I thought about the prodigal son and the father and his older brother, the prodigal's older brother in Luke 15. And I thought about the older brother. Uh, you know the story. The, the younger boy went out, lived crazy, uh, lost everything, wasted everything. Dang near lost his life. Dang near starved to death. Um, came, the Bible says he came to his senses. Let me translate that for you. God opened his eyes. God opened his eyes. And he saw what he was doing. He saw where he was headed. He saw what was actually true about his life. And he said, I want to go home. And he goes home. Not hoping for much. But he had an idea. My dad will let me in the door. I'm not sure what that's going to look like. But he's going to let me in the door. And you know the dad was so excited and grab a ring and some shoes and a coat and we're going to throw a feast and you know, you know but that's not the point of the story that I want us to think about today I want you to think about that older brother out in the field he hates his brother oh and if you asked him do you hate your brother I don't hate my brother I don't hate my brother but he has wronged our family. He has taken advantage of my dad. He has taken our family wealth. He has done all these things toward my family and my dad. Older brother, you full of hostility and unforgiveness and anger and ill will and all that? No, 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 no. But he was. And that ill will, that animosity, that unforgiveness, do you see what, what it did to that boy? Come to the Christmas party. I'm not coming. Come have dinner with your family. I'm not going to have dinner with my family. Come and rejoice in the success of your your family member, I'm not rejoicing. He doesn't deserve that. All, he was so consumed with ill will and unforgiveness. Is the point that the younger brother didn't cause that? Well, I think the younger brother did cause a lot of wounds in the life of his older brother. Some of you understand this. Some of you have siblings. Some of you have parents. Some of you have children that have hurt you as deeply as the younger brother hurt his older brother. Yeah, no one's debate. The, the point of the story is not that the younger brother didn't cause great wounds. That he didn't, he wasn't guilty of great wrong. Absolutely. There's no, there's no. But that older brother, he could not see that in the midst of his 
Obedience. Hard work. Discipline. Obedience. Hard work. Obedience. In the midst of all of that, you're killing your dad. You're taking up that offense for your dad. You're killing your dad. You're taking a knife and sticking him in the heart because of your ill will and animosity and unforgiveness towards your brother. Do you see that you, you, you're hurting? You, you won't even go in and have supper with your dad. He couldn't say a kind word about his brother. You got people in your life? You cannot, you cannot say a kind word about them. And if somebody else says a kind word, it is your God-ordained calling to make sure that kind word is balanced with a word on the other side. He cured cancer. Yeah, but he also ran that red light. He was blind to the ill will and the conflict in his life. And he was blind to the pain that he was causing his dad and his family. And I just present to you that if you and I could take that father to lunch today after church. And you said, Dad, what do you want for Christmas this year? If you could have anything under the tree, what, do you, what, do you, what, what would you like? I'm telling you, that dad would say, I'll tell you what I want. I want my two boys to love each other. I want my two boys to get along. I think the father would have swapped everything. I read a little deal the other day on the Christmas Carol. You know Charles Dickens and the Christmas Carol? Uh, I, my wife's the one that knows all the, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm, not, I'm surprised they even allow me to even <laughs> read this kind of stuff. But anyway, I was reading a little deal on the history of Charles Dickens and the Christmas Carol, and I, I didn't know. Uh, Charles Dickens grew up in, a, he grew up in, a, uh, in abject poverty. Uh, his family literally almost starved to death his entire childhood. And uh, there came a point when his dad, uh, for all practical purposes, sold him to work in one of those factories uh, where children worked in England um, to, so that he could feed the rest of the family. And until Charles Dickens became an adult, he worked in that factory uh, basically as a slave. And uh, it was a terrible life. Terrible life for him, terrible life for his family. Later on in life, I didn't read this part, but 
Somebody shared the gospel with him and he became a Christian. He accepted the gospel. And after he became a Christian, he began to realize that his anger toward his dad, he hated his dad. And his anger toward his dad for what his dad had done bad and he was a bad man. His dad was a bad man. I'm not, again, no debate on the badness of the, of the person that caused the conflict, right? That's not the, that's not the argument. The dad was a bad man. But he, Dickens realized that the, the, the impact of his dad's bad behavior was not as destructive as the impact of Dickens' hatred of his dad. Now you, let me say that again. Show him. Christian. His eyes were open. God, again, God had to show him. That Dickens, the impact of Dickens' behavior, or, or his, his attitude and words and response to and about his dad, that hatred was having a greater destructive impact upon his life and family than his dad's original behavior. And he wrote the Christmas carol as a sort of a cathartic attempt to heal himself, to process his feelings and his unforgiveness and his anger and his hostility toward his dad and uh, at the end of that, when he wrote it, God healed his heart. And he declared that he, he loved and forgave his dad. I, I'm telling you, that is very... That is very, very convicting to me. Um... I know that I have been guilty of damaging my loved ones over my anger and unforgiveness and hostility and ill will toward people in my past. And that grieves me But what is more important is what am I going to do now? Am I going to, am I going to, I've damaged my wife. I've damaged my daughter through that, through that anger and hostility and unforgiveness um, because of things that they did wrong or things they didn't do right. But do I have to perpetuate it further? Do I have to let it The Lord Jesus, I believe, agrees with what I'm saying. Because he says this in Matthew chapter 5. If you 
or I'm paraphrasing, but this is what he said. If you were at church doing the most important thing that a human being can do, you are fulfilling the very purpose for why God created you, and that is that you were in the midst of worshiping God. And you remember that you and someone else have hostility? Stop worshiping God. Only time in the Bible, out of 66 books, and I don't know how many, several thousand pages, only one time in the Bible does the Bible ever say, stop worshiping God. In fact, what it says all the time is, worship God, worship God, worship God. You're not worshiping And yet Jesus says, Stop worshiping God and take your little fat bottom right out of church and go find the person that you're in ill will with and get it right. Wow. Jesus wants us. I believe believe His Father wants more than anything. For us to be, to lay down all that hostility and offense and ill will and unforgiveness and animosity. He goes on, the Lord Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 18. Remember that story of that king and he had that dude that owed him all that money and he forgave him the money and then he, the, the dude leaves rejoicing. Woohoo! I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And then he meets a brother who owes him a few bucks. And they have this big blow up. And I'm going to throw your rear end in jail. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Bible says this. I never saw it. I never saw it until today. Or uh, this week. He's, it says that the servants of the king got so upset because of the broken relationship between those two brothers that they go to the king and they say, hey, this isn't right. There's two brothers. They got a broken relationship. Did the guy owe the money? Not a... Was the, has the debt been paid? No. There was wrong done. Nobody's doubting the wrong. Nobody's questioning the failure, the dropped ball. That's not the point. But the servants were so upset that they went to the king and they said, Hey, there is relational meltdown in the kingdom. King, you need to do something. And the king does something. And the thing that I took away from that story this time is this. I don't think the king cared about the debt, the unpaid debt. Dude, I'm the king. I've got unlimited wealth. Who cares about the dollars? Who cares about the wrong of the unpaid debt? I don't care. What I care about is that there is relational dysfunction. There's ill will. There's hostility. There's animosity in my kingdom. And I'm not, I'm not going to put up with it. I wonder how many servants in our homes 
our children, our grandchildren, other family members. I wonder if the, 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 the residents of our kingdom, I wonder how often laying in bed at night they cry out to the king. This isn't right. There's ill will in our kingdom. There's hostility. There's unforgiveness in our kingdom. This isn't right. One of Jesus' most significant titles when it comes to his first advent is the Bible calls him the Prince of Peace. And the Bible declares that he came to bring peace. Let me read two verses to you. Isaiah chapter 9 says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And His government and its peace will have no end. And then in Luke 2, Gabriel says to those shepherds, This will be a sign to you when you go to Bethlehem and look for this little child. This will be a sign to you or for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. I'm not suggesting that Jesus just came to bring peace. He came for a lot of reasons. I am declaring that he came the first time with no greater goal than to create peace, harmony, shalom, unity. Not sameness, not even agreement, just harmony. He came to bring harmony between his Father and mankind. And he came to create harmony between people and their families. Their friends, their enemies. The story of Christmas, would you not agree, is a story of someone who was on every level wronged, mistreated, taken advantage of, betrayed, hurt, And yet that very person 
Because his dad knew. Because he, I'm sorry, because he knew that his dad wanted for Christmas there to be peace on earth. See, Jesus knows what his dad wants for Christmas. You and I don't, but I can tell you right now, Jesus does. And I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that because Jesus knew what his daddy wanted for Christmas, he who was wronged and betrayed and treated unspeakably horrible, he, the wronged, he, the offended, he, the wounded, took the initiative and went to those that had done wrong, that had offended, that had betrayed, that had treated terribly. He went to them and he did what it took to make things right. He didn't wait he didn't hope. He didn't... Uh, he was very proactive in his effort to bring and create and empower peace. I think that's why the Bible says repeatedly that we can't just wait for peace. We're not supposed to just hope for peace. Well, I'm, you and me are, I, I don't like you. I'm offended at you. You've wronged me. You've wronged my loved ones. I think you're a rat. But I'm open. If you get your life together and you make things right I'm open I'm waiting I'm hoping oh sorry excuse me um, I'm hoping I'm waiting and I I'll do my part in response to you doing yours Terry that's what most of us that's that's most of our plans right that's not Jesus' plan. Jesus knew what his daddy wanted for Christmas. Hey, Father, you want a new gold bowl? You want a new star? You want a new life form? I'll whip up something, you know, and just add it to all the other. Uh, would you like a new galaxy? Would you like for me to do some? How about turning? I can do my old water and the wine uh, deal. That always is a crowd pleaser. I can. What would you like, Dad, for Christmas? I tell you what I'd like, son. I'd like the people that I created to reflect who I am and that I love more than life itself. Ooh, I wish that we could have peace and that they could have peace. And because Jesus knew that, Jesus said, I'll take care of that. I'll be the initiator. 
I'll be the beginner. I'll be the one that takes the fall. I'll be the one that suffers. I'm the one that will sacrifice. I'm the one. Am I suggesting or is what I'm suggesting to all of us? Is it quick, easy, and risk-free? Ask Jesus. Jesus, was it quick and easy and risk-free? What if, what if they, what if they uh, don't respond in like manner? Ask Jesus. I'm not telling you what that looks like. I'm not telling you what that means. And I am telling you that there are people in this room that have been so hurt and wronged that it does not need to be handled carefully and a difficult person on our lips. And maybe we ought to start with not the, the most difficult person on our list, right? Maybe we ought to start a little lower down the level, down the line. I am suggesting that what God the Father and His Son want for Christmas more than anything. They want you and I to reflect the image of God's Son by being passionate in our desire and effort to try to create peace. It might just mean that we start by keeping our mouths closed. It might mean that we start with a kind word or a kind act. I don't know all that it means. I know that the Bible says we're not supposed to just wait and hope. It says strive for peace. Isn't that funny? Fight for peace. Fight to stop fighting, right? Strive for peace. Seek peace. Pursue peace. Do all you can to create peace. And then Paul says in Ephesians 4, I beg you to lead a life worthy of God's calling. Always be humble. Always be gentle. Always be patient with one another. Make allowances for each other's faults in love. And do all that you can to create unity in God's spirit and bind yourselves together in peace. Peace will invade my life and your life when we come to the place where we value the pleasure of God, the joy of God, the promises of God, the goodness of God, more than I do in treasure and delight in those things, more than I delight in my pain, my offense, 
my righteous indignation, my sense of justice, my passion for vengeance, my arrogant declaration that I know the truth, when I value the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God more than I value all those other things. I'm telling you, peace will invade our lives like a mighty river. And wouldn't it be lovely? I'm not in charge of the world. And as scary as it sounds to y'all, in some way I am a little bit in charge of this group. Wouldn't it be lovely if on this Christmas morning God the Father finds under the Christmas tree some weak, feeble attempts at valuing peace. With people where there has been ill will and hostility and unforgiveness. I believe that that will please our Savior. And bring joy and delight to his dad. I want you to think about that. Um, Beck and Gail, you want to come help me, please? Oh, you're going to be a prayer, all right? Uh, well, Beck, you come, Chuck, you and Beck come up here. Neither one of y'all is pretty as Gail, but that's all right. Y'all come up here and help me. One of y'all stand right here. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says that we have been justified by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. Who brought peace. Jesus brought peace. When he died on the cross for us. Not just peace between us and his dad. But he brought the potential. The power. For us to create peace. To enjoy peace with each other. We eat this bread. And we drink juice which is yellow and wine which is purple we eat and drink that which symbolizes the body and blood of the son of God as a way of declaring I've been justified by faith because the son of God brought peace when he died on the cross for me if that's your testimony if that's your declaration I'm not saying I'm good. I'm saying I'm justified. I'm forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. If that's your declaration, I invite you to come and to eat bread and drink wine or juice and to give thanks. There'll be people over by this window and over by that window uh, by Allison uh, uh, that would love to pray with you if you need prayer. You come.